what was reported, I think, was 30 to Connor and 100 to Floyd. Was that what was reported? I think it was for certainly higher for Connor than I know. And, and, you know, for Floyd, I would imagine it would be probably around there or higher, just depending on what he did again. Wow. You really think that 100 million was true? Well, I mean, I, I, Connor was, you know, I'd say just under 100, right? When it's all said and done. So that's his part. So again, he has a part, we had a partner in the UFC. So, and I won't get into the specifics, but yeah. So for Floyd's side, it's very reasonable to think that he could have pulled in 100. Um, assuming that he he didn't take it all. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. Audie, I I, I I see all these interviews with you. I see you on the UFC like behind the scenes stuff, and you're always wearing slick suits and you're dressed nice right now. But I just saw that you're drinking out of a Stanley mug, just to remind everyone at home that. No matter how fancy someone is, we all have a little basicness inside of us. <laughs> you know, I always say, like, you know, it's business, much like sports. You have to, you know, you wear your uniform to play the game, right? And, but, but we're all human at the end of the day. We all have our casual clothes or, you know, our, our at home. I've only seen one interview you, uh, and I've watched a bunch of interviews. There's only one interview that you weren't wearing a suit. You were wearing like Lululemon and a hat. That I'm was gonna, the only time I've I'm seen I'm going to have to switch it up now, man. That's a, you know, <laughs> I have to switch it up. But it's a pleasure to meet you guys, man. You should zig and zag the other way because I think a lot of people in the like agents, talent management, they all are all like very slick looking. You should go the other way, right? Like um, you should go athleisure as your main thing because you were an athlete. So I feel like you can pull that off and a lot of guys in that space will all look like suits to, you know, in comparison. I'm going to, I'm going to have to, man. I'm going to have to, to make people remember that I was actually one of them before I became a suit. Exactly. (laughs) Well, there, there was some bum out there in San Francisco who was the first person to wear just like, you know, pajama bottoms and a t-shirt instead of a suit. You you just, that's, that's your burden now, I guess. I'm from Cali too. So I got to start just rocking flip-flops. You know what I mean? Just, just all all good with the flip-flops and the shorts. In Silicon Valley, uh, it's like the opposite. Like I remember when I first moved here, I went to like this nice kind of like club speakeasy type thing. And everybody's waiting in line and a guy walks up with a hoodie and, you know, it just looks completely disheveled. And the bouncers know, like, all right, this guy's either homeless or a billionaire. We don't know which one. We got to just err on the side of maybe this is like the next Mark Zuckerberg. Let him in. Let him in first. and Go that way. And I, I realized, oh, shit, the status game is different here. <laughs> That's funny. I heard a lot about that. Yeah, certainly uh, counterculture, if you will, to business. The normal bit, the New York, the New York hustle is all suit and tie, whereas the San Francisco right. hustle is definitely flip-flops and and holes in your t-shirt you know <laughs> so your introduction here is it's 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 there's you've done a bunch of stuff so so you've started paradigm which is uh and you just call it an agency a sports agency sports management company i'd say it's a sports management and entertainment platform it's what it is platform all right with uh the most famous guy being conor mcgregor but i also think you have izzy do you have one more champion on there i thought you had three so Izzy's a former client of ours, but definitely was an amazing client while he was with us. Uh, Michael Bisbing, Michael um, Bisbing, Steve Wonderboy Thompson, Michael Venom Page, Rico Verhoeven, uh, past clients, uh, obviously like Chris Lytle, who was actually one of my first clients. That's how I got into the sport. Um, but yeah, very fortunate to work with some of the, the greatest fighters of all time. So, All right, it's time for a little ad break. Ever wonder what a unicorn eats for breakfast? Okay. I don't actually know, but I do know that 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, marketing, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startups scale. 
And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big on your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, go to HubSpot.com slash startups. Yeah, so just a bunch of ballers. But then you also co-founded Proper 12, which we're going to ask you all about it. But according to the headlines, it was like a $600 million exit. So you've had some, maybe even more success there than the main thing. What's cool is, um, so you run a, a talent kind of like, let's say, well, part of your business is talent management, talent agency. And that's cool. There's a bunch of our audience that also owns agencies, which I think is great. But what I liked about you is that you have also kind of the venture side. So you're like creating brands and business ventures off the talent. And we've talked about these kind of creator brands in the past. We had, uh, you know, Mr. Beast on here and he's got all these kind of like feastables. He's got other, uh, you know, corporate brands underneath it. We had uh, Instagram star uh, Danny Austin come on and she's got Divi, like a hair care brand that's doing, you know, way more money than she can get kind of just in, in versus like influencer brand deals. And so what I like is that you've got... And Rob Deerdick. Yeah, Rob Deerdick. You, you've got both. And that's been a theme that we've kind of been been playing with. So I think we'll we'll try to hop around a little bit, but I, I definitely... Bless want you, to bless you. I mean, I'd be remiss if I didn't give you those two. Sorry. Oh, wow. What a gentleman. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Although, you. John may edit it out and, and then... Uh, you no, know, it's not take that in. That, that's, that's a character shower right there. <laughs> I'm like, I'm talking. If Sam's dying over there, I'm going to finish my point. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's good. He'll come back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, I appreciate the recognition. Look, I mean, we, we certainly, I feel, were one of the early, um, you know, platforms slash agencies, if you will, that really saw not only, um, you know, an opportunity, but more so wanted to do more for our clients, right? We wanted to disrupt our respective industry, but also think far beyond that and not just think transactional. And for me, in mixed martial arts, it was an underserved market. And we wanted to not only advocate for our clients, but advocate for the sport, really push fighter, fighter, uh, not only earnings, uh, higher and higher, which still have a long way to go, but they've come a long way from when we first started in, in back in 2009 in, in the sport. And we were very fortunate because we came in right before the first, um, you know, rights deal was, was actually paid. You know, the UFC was paying to be on spike prior to the Fox deal. And, and as you know, most people know, that's the main economic driver of any professional sports organization, whether it's the, you know, NFL, the NBA, and now, obviously, from from, from uh, a mixed martial arts perspective, the UFC. They were paying Spike to put themselves yeah. on TV? That's a, that's publicly known. They were actually, oh, you know, paying for that airtime. So the, the original Ultimate Fighter and then all all that was broadcast on Spike back in the day. Um, yeah, they, they were not only funding their own production, but they were paying for that airtime. And, and Fox was that really first paid deal that the UFC uh, garnered, you know, and, and which was a, a monumental... Uh, milestone for the sport and and for the promotion and the sport of mixed martial arts you know is is it wouldn't be here without the ufc which is the catalyst for where the sport is today now you have other promotions that are competing and promotion is very synonymous with leagues right so when you talk about leagues um you know it's it, there, there's certain terminologies within the sports world that are very similar although there's a lot of differences as well right in terms of you know athletes in the NFL and NBA being employees and then fighters being independent contractors. So for us, we saw an opportunity of, of it not only being the fastest growing sport and an underserved market for the athletes, but then also really thinking beyond just management. How could we create, you know, um, more value for the clients? And, you know, it, it takes a special client and a special 
personality like Conor McGregor. So I was very fortunate to sign him 10 years ago. And, you know, and, and we had a vision and he was very, very bullish about that vision as well. Let's rewind. Let's rewind to that. So you, uh, your story is kind of the, I'll give you the, the first part very fast. So you you play football at UCLA, end up getting injured. You move into uh, management side of things. You got, you got some kind of football players as your first clients. And then you branch into MMA and you discover Conor McGregor. Can you tell the story? How did you, how did you discover Conor? What was, what was his situation like at that time? And uh, what was those kind of the first meeting? Take us back to those days. Yeah, sure. So um, I think taking it back to the first days, the early days really working with guys like Chris Lytle, right? Getting into the business or um, working with a guy like that. I got to work with him for one fight and he retired. So then it was being able to sign Michael Bisping, which was a massive opportunity for me and, and someone that I'm so proud of, not only as a, as a client, but as a friend as well. Went on to be the first British uh, champion, first champ, UFC champion from, uh, from the UK. And, you know, he was a pioneer of mixed martial arts for all the up and coming athletes within Europe, you know, Ireland included. So um, I was very fortunate enough to start to work with Michael and, and other clients as well earlier in, in my, in my uh, career in, in, in the UFC and mixed martial arts in particular. Um, and so when I signed Connor, it was when he first came on to, to the, to the UFC scene, right? He was fighting in the regional promotion in Europe, cage warriors, which is still around and still, a you know, they, let's call it a mid major, if you will. And these are, these are to some extent, they're professional, um, promotions, but they're feeder programs to the larger promotions, if you will. And, um, he had just signed to the UFC and we were, uh, introduced uh, interestingly enough, like through Facebook. And you know, at the time it was, he was, you know, looking at signing with one of the agencies in the sport. And I got an opportunity to uh, pitch him and, and coach his coach, John Kavanaugh, as to why I felt that we would be the best fit for him. And so you got to, you know, put, you know, put your best foot forward and, and give it a shot and, and hopefully you win that business. And I was fortunate enough that, um, you know, we got, First opportunity actually to work with him heading into his you know his first fight we were saying okay well let's pause now let's talk after this first fight so he beats marcus brimage was that the uh 50, 50 G's, G's, baby? baby yeah that's the famous line from that fight and after that his second fight was his u.s debut actually against max holloway and we, we started to work with with one another um heading into that fight and so um the rest is history but one of the things you know you recognize is not only his athletic ability but then he had special a special not only talent in inside the octagon but you could tell he was very special and charismatic he had that it factor that you know is is you know i think it's it's once in a it's once in a generation type of a, of an athlete as well not only from a physical perspective but a qualitative perspective and so you know the sky was going to be the the limit um in terms of what we could do together. And was that, I mean, I've, I've seen all the, the, there's these older interviews where Connor still has acne, he has no tattoos, and he says, like, you know, mark my words, you will see me in the UFC, you will see me as a champion one day. And then coming up, leading up to that Marcus fight, and then I think it was Dennis Silver in Boston, if I remember correctly, like in the early days, you still see that he has some type of star power on camera. But behind the scenes, uh, even at a young age in his early 20s, did you notice that uh, the confidence and the star power was there just in your normal hanging out sessions? Yeah, you could definitely see his charisma behind the scenes. And, 
you know, he was, like I said, he was very witty, uh, very, very confident, but also very engaging. You know, I think one of the things I always tell people is that, you know, majority of people in the world uh, know who Conor McGregor is. And I would argue that most of them have never seen him fight. They've actually seen more of his interviews and, 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 um, and him talking because, you know, when he talks, you can't take your eyes off it, possibly, right? He's just so fun. And, and whether you love him or hate him, you're watching him, you know? And that's, that's I think, what makes him special. Yeah, you finding Connor is kind of like, we've had guys on this podcast that are like, yeah, I discovered Uber. I was like the fifth investor in Uber or, you know, like they're early investors in Facebook or something like that, right? It's like a, it's like an angel investment that goes on to become this, this what do we call it? It's like a unicorn, right? It's like this billion dollar brand that you discover at that early age. Were, were other people pitching him for business at that time? Because I remember that first Brimage fight, there was like a hype around him. Like even his entrance, entrance, people were like really excited about him. And and I didn't know who he was at the time. So I don't even know how people were so excited about the guy at that time. So I imagine that, you know, there were other agents trying to win that business at that time. Um, do you have any good fun anecdotes or stories of like your hustle at that time to get him? Or was it like, no, people, it was kind of like a, a like an ignored asset. People didn't realize that this was going to be, that he was going to be a big deal. And it it really was, it didn't look like it was like this hotly contested thing. No, I definitely think that people were, were, um, you know, hot on him, but I think everybody was pitching him on the same idea. It was more transactional. And I think what were, were um, I stood out, surely, was because I, I had a broader vision. I had a broader vision of creating IP, you know, and creating media and content, but also creating uh, business ventures, right? And I really was bullish in, on that idea. Uh, and I, I remember even when I first launched Paradigm in 2009, my business plan was not only to be the best in class from a management perspective, but build uh, clients, media, and IP, where, whereby building more brand equity for them. And that will yield not only more ancillary revenues from a sponsorship perspective, but increase their value from a from their playing contract or perspective athletically, and also leads to to business ventures. And, you know, I, I was laughed at when I first had that business plan. It's too busy. Focus on what you could do, you know, like, uh, and, and I think that that's what stood out to him because he had that vision in himself as well and um it was even if you think about what we did back in 2017 with the floyd fight i mean everybody thought we were crazy you know that that fight was never going to happen and everybody doubted us everybody even some of those ended up doing the deal and partnering with us so ultimately you know we had to believe in ourselves and and more importantly go out and actually execute right because you can have dreams you can have visions you can start something but if you don't execute successfully it means nothing. And now that trend is common. Those exhibitions now are commonplace. You see uh, everybody now taking place in these exhibitions. And there's an appetite from a consumer perspective for these unique matchups where people are, are uh, matched up from, from different sports just to, to compete in combat sports. Um, and then we even launched our venture on the back of that. We launched Proper 2018. And so, you know, again, at that time, I think it was maybe uh, George Clooney and and uh, maybe Puff Daddy at the time, you know, but I don't think anybody else now, like Spirits, everybody has, a, <laughs> has some type of, a, of a, a liquor brand that they're, they're hawking and, and then Ventures is commonplace as well. So, you know, to me, I'm proud of the fact that we had this vision and we were able to execute more importantly, you know, because um, it's very hard to do. 
It's hand-to-hand combat every day, entrepreneurship. I uh, I want to ask you about the Proper 12 stuff, but before that, so like I grew up watching Entourage, and so you see like Ari Emanuel or Ari Gold dealing with like crazy young actors who have monies and money, and it's like you know drugs and sex, and then ballers, it's like uh, drugs and sex as well. But the difference between uh, you know ballers, what's NFL? But then there's the difference I imagine with UFC fighters, where it's you're not an actor, you're not a player you're going to get out there in your underwear and fight to the death in front of millions of people. Can you like tell me a little bit about the difference between managing someone like Connor or Izzy like these like cuz I imagine the are they crazy? What's that mi- mindset like on a daily basis and that mentality particularly when it comes to business? Are they have you found that you've got to hold them back from being so aggressive sometimes or or what's that like with that type of athlete? Well, first of all, I don't think they're crazy per se. So it's not, you know, because of the profession or the sport that they're in that, that they tend to be maybe a little bit, um, you know, crazy, so to speak. Right. I mean, like when I say crazy, I mean like high, high, high risk, well, what high I, risk. Well, I think, look, it means depending on the field you're in, it's that's subjective. What you think high risk and not most, totally. most people that come from, totally. let's say if you're a neurosurgeon, you're going to think the combat sports is super high risk. Right. But Ultimately, I think every human being is different. There's certainly, there's certainly, uh, when you're that competitive, you're going to be driven, you're going to be more aggressive. And I think I see it even in business at the same, at the highest level, there's, there's that chip on the shoulder. There's that edge that, that every high level competitor has, whether it's an athlete in different sports or whether it's a businessman or woman in, at the highest level of their respective field. So Obviously, business acumen varies, right? So if you're talking about an institutional investor versus a professional athlete, that varies. But even within the sport, you have athletes that have a very high level of business acumen. Connor's not trained from an institutional perspective. He didn't go get his MBA. He, he doesn't have that, that academic background, if you will, right? But he's a very natural businessman. What's a, what's a story as an example well, of I that? I mean, a story is proper 12. I mean, could have easily taken a check from a sponsorship perspective and been so short-sighted as opposed to putting up our own capital initially, finding the right operating partner, finding the right strategic capital supply chain route to market, going out and creating our own, working without getting the sponsorship check for X amount of posts or Y amount of appearances, if you will, for an ultimate windfall that changes life and is generational wealth. So that in itself is a great example. Did you guys, did you guys have like Jameson were like, hey, we want to sponsor you. And you were like, Dude, fuck this, Connor. Let's do our own thing. He's always had a desire to get into whiskey. It's, it's like he's Irish. It's part of their DNA, right? And his his grandfather was a was a whiskey man. And we always had the idea when we were approached by a sponsor, and and it was like, do we go and pursue a sponsorship and take a check, or do we just go and own our own business? And when you study the category and looked at the TAM and you looked at the opportunity, you're like, we could. This is right for disruption. We actually could really come in and do something here, right? And so that that's a perfect example of his natural business acting, right? Because it's hard to do that. And especially at that level, he wasn't making, you know, a, a ton of money yet up until we got to the Floyd flight, which is, by the way, when we announced our entry into the market. We announced our entry into the whiskey market in our post-fight press conference. Yeah, I remember he's, he's holding the glass at the post We started, flight. though, the process in 2014, and we were doing a lot of research and development and pivoting from different groups, and, and ultimately, we, we, we found the right you know, formula, if you will, and the right team, et cetera, 
right? Um, and, and the rest is history. And that to me takes a lot of, lot of intelligence for an athlete to do that's not trained, hasn't had the experience of building a business and, you know, more, moreover, the patience, right? To really bet on himself. How much of your guys' capital did you put up to get it off the ground? And do you remember what your first year's sales was? What, what, well, what was? well I, I'll tell you, I can't disclose all the information just due to strict confidentiality provisions that exist with our partners and our acquirer. So I, I got to be safe. But I can tell you that we put up probably a few hundred thousand of our own capital initially. I can say that, right? Um, and that's, you know, I mean, that most of that went to lawyers, if you will, just before you even got started. So, um, but it's like strategically, I think the way we set it up and we have great partners, you know, one of our partners is, uh, is an operating genius and is a wizard in the spirits business, Ken Austin. So I got to give him a shout out because I, yeah, he had like, another company, right? I mean, he did Avion, uh, then he did yeah. proper with us. He's done Terramana now. He's done Delolo, Jim Dale. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a G when it comes to the spirits business, you know? And when you find people like that, are you doing just like a, like a 30, 30, 30, like, you know, you guys all split equity evenly? I can't go into the details of the cap table. I wish I could, but again, there's strong confidentiality provisions in all agreement, but it was a, it's a fair deal. And I think everybody's happy in the end, but moreover, you bring on a black belt that knows what they're doing. Because at the end of the day, that's part of operating a business and being successful. It's like, you know what you don't know, but essentially no matter what the cap table looks like, you got to make sure you bring on that, the right expertise, right? From an operational perspective, you have to have all the right ingredients to be able to execute successfully. So even with something like that, let's say, uh, just to put this in perspective, so the decision to say, well, we could just take a straight sponsorship deal, get a check, make a few Instagram posts and, and, you know, cash that check, um, versus we're going to do the entrepreneurial work and actually build a brand. The payoff difference, I imagine, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I think it's probably a hundred to one. Would that be uh, approximate? So like, you know, if you just say, okay, over a few years, we would have a, a, a kind of an alcohol sponsor and we're, we're doing, you know, kind of these, these scheduled posts with them or commercials with them or whatever it may be. I think it's probably something like 50 to a hundred X bigger return by doing the work. Is that, like, I would say it's well, a more, it's a multiple of that. You think, <laughs> you think more? A few hundred dollars. How much would a sponsor should have been? I mean, I mean, back in that, back at that time, you know, when we first started the process, it would have been like two, 250,000 or something like that. That would have been a big one. By the time we launched, he probably was in the seven figure range. Yeah. In terms of sponsor, sponsorship annually, right? That's so, like an annual deal? Annual deal, right? Yeah. Okay. So a million, some, some millions per year yeah. in order to promote yeah. Yeah. a whiskey and versus hundreds of millions. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I would say, I would say like it was, you know, you could run any, you know, analysis, even an NPV and look at like how we won and won big. All right, everyone, a quick break because I want to fill you in on a little experiment that I'm doing. I've got a new project. It's called Money Wise. It's a personal finance podcast for high net worth people or young people who are on their way to becoming high net worth. When I made a little bit of money, I didn't even know how much money I should be spending each month. Should it be 10000 30000 50000 And I didn't really have a lot of people to ask. So I created a podcast called Money Wise because I wanted to figure out what are some of the things that people who have a lot of cash and who have a high net worth, what do they do with it? The first episode is with a friend of mine. He sold his company for $200 million when he was 31 years old. He gets super transparent 
about his monthly expenses, his portfolio, how it impacts his happiness, everything. And so I want you guys to check it out. It's called Money Wise. That's one word. You can find it on my Twitter bio. I'm the Sam Parr, or you can just type in Money Wise on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, back to the pod. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you like podcasts like this, you should check out some other cool podcasts. One is called Business Made Simple. It's hosted by Donald Miller, and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. And what he does is he makes it easy to take the mystery out of growing your business. There's an episode that you should check out called What You Should Put in a Job Description to Get the Perfect Hire. And in this episode, Donald Miller looks at the whole hiring process and how important it is to emphasize both the, the positive attributes and the drawbacks to future candidates. And you'll learn why being self-aware as a leader will help you avoid hiring disasters. So check it out. Go listen to Business Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. You talked about the Mayweather-McGregor thing, how that came to, like how that, nobody thought that that was going to happen and then it, it actually happened. And it was kind of amazing. I remember vividly where I was. I remember I was, on, I was in Australia and I had to get up at a certain time. I was at a bar at like five in the morning or something like that to watch that fight. Um, but I also remember the buildup, like there was the kind of back and forth, almost flirting on, on social media, talking, talking trash to each other to try to generate interest. Cause I think both guys, Floyd and Connor, are probably the two smartest businessmen ever that come through combat sports. And they kind of knew, okay, this is the right dance partner for, for us to like execute something orders of magnitude bigger than what we could do. And, um, and I remember at the time it was seen as, Almost like the the Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg thing today, where it's like, wow, that'd be crazy if it happened, but there's no way. I mean, just to get all these people, to get them everyone to agree, um, seemed impossible. Can you take us back? Like, uh, you know, like I see all these videos of you like hanging out at Connor's house or whatever, and like you get, you know, the behind the scenes stuff. There had to have been just like a couch conversation where you guys are like, okay, could we do this? How could we do this? What, what was that early days like before it came to fruition? So, I, to your point, I think, you know, you have two of the smarter, and savvy businessmen in combat sports that really understood, you know, the modern day fandom of both sports, right? And early days, like he wants to do it. And then it would be shot down by UFC, by, by members of the media, by whoever that just doubted that it would ever happen. Um, and I think that the, the banter is really what allowed it to happen because once they started going back and forth and you could actually see the level of engagement and interest from a market perspective and from a consumer perspective, it, it was hard to deny it, right? It was hard to deny it because it was like, this is real. It's viable. It, it's a, it's a win win scenario and a win for all parties who'd be involved. Why not? Right. The fans want it. The fighters want it. And, and moreover, the numbers were speaking for themselves from an analytics perspective. So that allowed us to really use what the two fighters were intelligently doing on a very in instinctive level, right? There wasn't planned. There wasn't scripted. It was very instinctive. But moreover, I think what, what my job is, is to look at the data and be like, right, there's something very viable here. There's something that, you know, you have to be able to take and continue to, to, to advocate and push for your client because, you could effectively have a successful business opportunity, even for the UFC. And so that I think it took them a while to come around, but eventually they did because they realized there was just such amazing and intense interest around this event that it, it was real. It wasn't a gimmick. It was something that everybody wanted to see. And so 
I think that was uh, credit to them too, because again, it went against all their, their, their normal business practice. They'd never done something like that before. And it took, you know, I think for them to see the substance of it all to then move forward with us. And ultimately it was a huge success. I mean, over 4 million buys. I mean, I think there's probably, there was a, something, there was some um, report I remember receiving. It was, yeah, like hundreds of millions of illegal streams. I mean, like, and we still did over 4 million buys. You know what I mean? Like, so could you imagine if like, it was the most bootlegged fight ever? Yeah. If we would have just been able to even just plug some of those holes and how many more <laughs> buys we would have had, right? But I mean, it was such a, commercial success i mean can i ask you a quick question about those buys yeah so you said you said four million buys i'm not i'm not attacking this strictly about this fight but when i see pay-per-view numbers like what the headlines are i think most of them are complete bullshit i think that when a fighter says like for example i remember floyd has multiple times said he's earned nine figures so 100 plus million off of one one fight and uh, I, I think I've seen Connor say, I, I think he was just talking shit, but he's like, oh, I'm making this much money off this um, uh, cowboy Cerrone fight. I think those are nonsense. And the reason I think they're nonsense is it's almost like a rapper bragging about how much money they have. It's like part of the brand. You're not, it's part of your brand. And also no one's incentivized like Dana or Showtime or HBO. They're not incentivized to like tell the public that, yeah, this dude's full of shit. We gave him $2 million. He didn't earn $20 million off this thing. Oh, well, I, no, let me, let me just... There's and a, like it's not public that's information. A loaded, that's a loaded, because there's certain elements of that, you know, could be hypothetically true. But for example, compensation is not fully reported when you're talking about UFC, particularly MMA. Like, that's not fully reported what the persons really are at the highest level. That yeah. Is, you know what I mean? So, so it's actually more... It's even that true? Because I... It's just what's reported to the commission and assuming that they don't have, let's call it another agreement. So that's at your, in terms of pay-per-view, there's speculation. So for example, May Mac in particular, there was, you know, I think there was rumors that were starting to trickle in that it did over 6 million buys or something to that extent. You know what I mean? But it landed in like the four, three, four, four range. And that's, no, that's actual, right? I mean, ultimately, you know, that's, those are not fudge numbers. And so what you were hearing about what, potentially uh connor made and potentially floyd made on our side i know it's more true on the floyd side i don't know if he divulges who he splits it with or you know what that what that looks like on his side so i can't comment on on his right but ufc was our partner so i know what they're what we're reporting for connor was connor's what was reported i think was 30 to connor and 100 to floyd was that what was reported i don't think so but maybe i mean in terms of what you're talking about reported to the the commission or the papers? No, uh, no journalist ever actually like breaks that down. You know yeah. what I mean? So that's what I'm saying. Like these numbers are so high and I hear yeah. that. And I've, well, it was I've higher, I think for, for, I think it was high, for certainly higher for Connor that I know. And, and, you know, for Floyd, I would imagine it would be probably around there or higher, just depending on what he did again. Wow. There's you really think that hundred million was true? Well, I mean, I, I, Connor was on, you know, I'd say, just under a hundred, right? When it's all said and done. So and that's his part. So again, he has a part, we had a partner in the UFC. So, and I won't get into the specifics, but yeah. So from Floyd's side, it's very reasonable to think that he could have pulled in a hundred, um, assuming that he, he didn't take it all and didn't have partners. He split with, you, right? You're a business guy. So you see what Floyd did in the boxing business where he basically became his own promoter, runs his own, runs his own ship so that he can take the lion's share of, of 
the the revenue or the, the profits that come from an event where like in the past guys like Mike Tyson and others sort of got screwed because they're out there fighting generating all this demand then they look at 10 years later they're like where's all the money and the promoter has basically enriched themselves in that way and obviously the UFC is totally different it's like a league it works differently but a guy like Connor is essentially as big of a brand as the USC UFC uh like you know let's say it's debatable they're in the same like the same like air and if conor mcgregor was to go do a fight on youtube pay-per-view or whatever he wanted to do he could pull the same numbers as a ufc card without the ufc's promotion do you think like i guess when you see what floyd did do you think anybody's ever going to do that with the ufc or in mma where they're going to become their own promoter and have their own shows i think the sport is still young and it's still evolving right and while the UFC is to some extent synonymous to a league as a promotion. It's still structured to some extent, you know, like prize fighting, right? There's still pay-per-view. And even though there's rankings, sometimes you'll see the rankings are not, it's not true meritocracy because it's still prize fighting and entertainment to some extent, right? Um, and, and I think that they have come a long way, but they still have a long way to go in terms of how much fighters should, could earn, should earn, um, but at the end of the day, too, from a boxing perspective, I think that's why boxing has been on the decline. It's so fragmented, right? And there's, at the end of the day, there's not uh, a, a true promotion that's, that's stood the test of time. I know top rank's been around forever, right? But who do they really have? Matching seems to be doing more. Obviously, Premier is still around and still PBC still competing, but you see it kind of fragmented, right? Canelo will fight for matching one one for for a couple of fights and I spot fighting for PBC for a fight um and, and I and the difference is though I think in boxing promotions could fight each other and, and so they have to agree on that right I think in the MMA it's going to continue to evolve right you now have um the ability can Connor do that of course I think Connor is one of probably the only person who could carry his own show it's very difficult to do right it's hard to go how many million pay-per-view sellers are there in, in either sport not a lot you know it's like it's it's not that easy to do so i think that from a from a ufc perspective they've always looked at it as like look we're we're building something that's sustainable and they are correct in that regard but i think that fighters definitely should have a, a bigger p uh, piece of the revenues as this thing continues to grow, which I think they've come a long way, but they still have a long way to go, right? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, uh, the other group that's trying to do their own shows is the kind of Jake Paul, Logan Paul style thing where they're doing these kind of like kind of celebrity matches, high interest uh, fights and getting people to buy pay-per-views for that seems to honestly be working. Like, you know, like, uh, I don't know what you think about those guys, but I personally used to be like, oh, you know, kind of wrote them off as just like, kind of like, they were like in the jackass crowd of like the, the YouTube generation or the Vine generation. Yeah. And then they <laughs> said they were going to do this boxing thing. I'll see, uh, who knows how seriously they'll take it. But honestly, like they've done a good job of actually like building up interest and pulling these events off and being like respectable, showing up very respectably uh, and winning several of these fights. Um, you can't hate on them, man. You can't hate on them. You're putting the time. Actually, our client Dylan Dennis is fighting Logan Paul coming up. That's right. Dylan Dennis is your client? Yeah, yeah. So he's fighting. Oh, spot. my God. That is so funny. Are you the genius behind his uh, current marketing strategy? Is that your – did you sign off on that? <laughs> no, no, no. That's all Dylan. Uh, 
I, th- I thought you might have yeah. been his client. There's a, there's a famous video where Nate Diaz and Dylan are getting into it, and Nate throws a beer on Dylan. And I saw you in the video trying to be like the the father in the whole like you're yeah. like, hey Nate, Dylan, could you guys please walk <laughs> yeah. away? Yeah. This is that good? Did, didn't work uh, out. My kids didn't listen. You know. <laughs> no. But, so, um, uh, but no, I you know it, you got to give those guys credit. I mean, look, I, I think they're 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 putting in time in their craft. They're they're going in there and. And they're not only, you know, taking a shot, risk it. You know, I could argue that they're not really doing it against real boxers. That's true. You know, I think they're being more strategic. And But, you know, again, credit has to go to Connor, right? Who created that trend? Who started that? It was us versus Mayweather. And then now, I mean, even if Floyd goes and fights someone else, he doesn't get the same result without it being another two, two A-side guys facing each other. And while I give all of them credit too, I don't think you've seen this blockbuster event that anybody's been hoping for. So, so at the end of the day, you know, there's a market though. There's an appetite from a consumer to go look at, you know, me and you, Sean. I don't. I think we, we may only get 100 people that tune in, but nonetheless, there's a market there. And it's probably streaming on YouTube. Sam is going to have to pay. He doesn't get you a under, You underestimate how many people want to see me get my ass whooped. Uh, <laughs> Likewise, my friend. I think you're right. You're right. <laughs> so, what are the? They've been begging to get Connor in that. I think that the, that's the white whale that that Jake Paul's chasing. What is the percent chance that a fight between Conor McGregor and Jake Paul ever happens? I mean. Right now, Connor's focused on Michael Chandler. I'm saying ever, uh, ever. I, I can tell you, Floyd, Floyd, the rematch is is there. Logan Paul wants to fight him. Jake Paul, not out of the realm of possibilities. Not it's zero. Not, <laughs> yeah, it's not zero. It's just not top of mind right now, right? Yeah. So you need to take off your sports jacket. You need to have a proper twelve. You need to like. I want the non-politician <laughs> no, answer. I, that you, you, you managers are so good at saying the best of know, everything. Listen, it's funny. It's like I wonder if I just wore freaking streetwear and and you know and and, <laughs> and, and, and dyed my hair, bleached my hair like I used to when I was a young punk rock kid. And, you know, if, if everybody would really just hear what I'm saying, this is not bullshit. I'm just telling you the truth. Like, if he's gonna fight Michael Chandler next, right? It's not, and we're not thinking about that. You know what I mean? But ultimately, of course, we know he wants to fight. Of course, we know it's there. And of course, I think if everybody keeps doing their thing, it's going to be a market for it, right? So, well, well, let's talk about the the biggest of these freak show fights right now is Elon versus Zuck. And it was one of those things that, like, in our world, it's like that's that's never happened in the kind of business and tech world. And then Dana comes out and kind of certifies it. He's like, no. They want it to happen. We're talking to them. We might make it happen, which was yeah. But he insane. always does yeah, that. Well, exactly. It's Dana White, so you never know. Uh, but you know, it, it was interesting that it got a little bit more heat from that. What's your take on that? And again, same question. Probably, oh, he, he does that. But I don't know if Dana would have gone on a limb if he hadn't really talked to both. Right? I mean, they, well, I'm sure he talked to both, but I don't. Uh, I don't think that he would have done that. You know, and and even Zuck training with. Freaking, you know, a bunch of different fighters, Izzy and Volk and and John Jones and and then uh, Elon bringing in GSP and, and do you believe it'll happen? And if so, who I you believe have? Zuck would be down. Yeah, catch weight, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yes, the I class. agree. Like I think Zuck is down. Zuck is right. a is 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 truly you know training and regardless of this fight or not, he's in there. Does that mean you think Elon might not be down? Because that's our theory here on this podcast is that Elon wants to talk about it. 
look, from the outside looking in and all the information that I have, which is probably less than what you have being in the tech world, you guys have some freaking secret telegram groups and shit. <laughs> with other, who told you about that? Dude, for uh, knowing you or like knowing what I think of you, you, for, you're probably going to be managing them. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, like, <laughs> hey, I'll, 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 yeah, I'm definitely going to pursue them, you know, but so long as we get some rights, not just transactional, we got to build something together, you know, but no, but I, I, I think it's up to Elon. I, I truly think it's up to Elon, you know, and I don't know. Do you think tell you what's so, his head. So Dana came out and said, if it happened, they probably looked at the numbers though, for both X and threads are like, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> but Zuck's more serious. Like, no, don't talk about it. I saw those text exchanges and all that kind of stuff that kind of were leaked. And like I said, Zuck's, 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 Zuck's about it. Yeah. He's, he's not, he's not bullshit. You know, Dana has said, if it happens, it would be the biggest fight ever. He thinks it would surpass Floyd Pacquiao. It would surpass Floyd Connor. He thinks it would be that. Cause it's just like, uh, you know, the freak of all freak shows in that sense. Like it crosses over into so many different, like fan bases or domains you get all the combat force people but you'd also get the business people to watch i think so i think so and i think it would also be the saddest fight ever yeah it'd also be really uh, lame to watch it, it was actually <laughs> it was it was actually it was actually kind of fucked up the way elon was all about it and then all of a sudden it's like it's not going to be the up stage it's going to be charity like wait a second you can't play along all this fucking time and then and then all of a sudden pull the rug you know what i mean like yeah. but did you, you know. see the video of him curling a 40 or he had like a 20 pound or 40 pound weight at his office and he did a live Twitter where he was, he's like, I'm curling to prepare. It's like, no, dude, if you think, <laughs> I swear to God, if you think doing curls at your desk is how you prepare, you're, this is not going to be good. Sport, this is not gonna buddy, be good. Sport, man. You know, oh, I didn't see that. That's funny. That's hilarious. Dude, I want to ask you, let me ask you a qu- about some other slick guys. So basically, a lot of people who don't watch the UFC, they, they don't know that. Uh, so Dana's the front guy. You know, he's doing a lot of the match setting and uh, he does all the talking. And he seems like a wonderful businessman. But the Fertitta brothers interest me most because they were, uh, I think, I think Dana only owned like four or six percent of it when it sold. But the Fertitta brothers m- owned most all of it besides some outside outside money because they were already wealthy. But they seem like, those guys, they don't do a lot of interviews and they're a little bit behind the scenes. They seem like sharks. Have you learned anything interesting from uh, uh, the two brothers and Dana uh, about business? Well, so obviously, look, uh, they sold their, their business now, right? Endeavor ended up, yeah. you know, William Morris at the time, they they bought it. Um, but I, I had uh, the pleasure of being able to, to you know, deal uh, across from Lorenzo Fatita on particularly uh, on, a, on a couple of clients, particularly Connor, obviously at that level. Um, and they're very savvy businessmen, very, very composed. You know, I, I it's not, it's it, the, the dynamic when I'm on the opposite side, naturally it's adversarial <laughs> a lot of the time. Right. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, I'm advocating for my clients. So it's, it's, I'm not their best friend. Right. And it's not like they're going to invite me over for Christmas and, and, uh, but, but we do have, we did have a respectful relationship and I really, really enjoyed dealing with someone, you know, that, that has been not only successful in our sport and a pioneer in it, but was a super successful businessman in the casino business and, and other businesses as well. And so you learn, you learn from the interactions and the dealings and the negotiations that you're, 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 you're doing. Like, for example, when, when Mayweather McGregor happened and we, we basically, got what we were achieving or were striving for from a negotiation. Like Connor and I really, we had that moment when we walked out of Lorenzo's office and we're like, fucking did it. You know, it was like a, a moment. Right. And so, 
do you guys like keep a straight face until you get to the parking lot? Yeah, you get like giddy <laughs> and start hugging and shit. Well, in the meeting, in, in in the office, you have the smirk. You know, you don't give it away. Like, right. And then, yeah, when you get in the car, you're like, oh, God, you celebrate. <laughs> you know? Um, but yeah, man, I think it's the, it's the human shit. I think that's what people don't realize. I mean, it's like it's the same in all sectors, all sports. And even the most composed person that doesn't do any interviews, I'm sure have had those moments in their own, you know, journeys as well, right? I read on um, Front Office Sports, I think it's called, it's like a sports publication, that the final exit for uh, Proper 12 was $600 million. And I think that was only four years after you started it. Is $600 million in the ballpark? Three years. And I can tell you, you listen, if it's probably printed, then you <laughs> got to go with that because I can't necessarily <laughs> comment on the specific numbers, but we're still involved too. It's not, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, we, we're still, you know, part of the team. We're still pushing it to grow the brand. We just came out with a new flavor, our Irish apple flavor, which is amazing. Um, you know, dangerously amazing too. Cause I, you know, you just, it, it drinks, it goes down so easy. Um, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm super proud of that. Was brand. that, was that like a new level for you wealth wise? And what, I mean, or were you able to make money a little bit along the way? You know, I think that was a whole nother level, right? That was a whole nother level where you're able to achieve, you know, your, 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 you know, the, your ultimate goals. Right. But ultimately too, you're, 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 proving your concept. You know what I mean? Like ultimately, like we're not having to go sell the platform. We're creating liquidity events by creating opportunities um, left and right. And that's just for clients. Now we're creating ventures that are, you know, accretive to the platform. We have a, a, a smart basketball technology called Hoop. We have, uh, you know, some other ventures in the pipeline that are coming out that are very, very much focused on, on advocacy for the entire sport and creating something or we're putting our own capital in these things to create opportunities for everybody else, right? And so, and and there's other things that we're creating specifically for our clients, right? So, so you know, in lieu of of, uh, of 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 you know having the opportunity to invest, or you know, an athlete not maybe not having the brand equity to go start their own venture, how can we bring them along the ride with us? You know, for for, for the next proper twelve, if you, if you will, right? I always like to ask people this um, because. I remember, you know, when you start out in business, typically you have kind of nothing to your name and you've got this literally nothing, nothing. credit yeah. card debt, like exactly nothing. So you start at zero or usually you go below zero. You dip below zero for a period it's of way time. below zero. Well, the, the funny thing is, and this is what people don't appreciate. Like my wife now, she was my girlfriend and she had a job and we were literally maxing out credit cards. And for the first seven years of paradigm, I didn't take a paycheck. I was paying team members and staff before I was paying myself. And I think people lose sight of that, you know, it's like, but, but then when you have huge success, you still try to do right, take care of people. But even that's sometimes no good deed goes unpunished. Right. But ultimately the, it's a war of attrition. You have to be able to withstand all of it and really believe in what you're doing. And, you know, Eat shit sandwiches daily, right? <laughs> on your way there, you that's know what I'm getting at. You you eat these shit sandwiches for, in your case, seven years. In my case, I remember like sort of eight or nine years straight of just uh, like in my case, it was just kind of failure. But like in your case, at least you were building it up, um, and then you finally have the moment where it's kind of like validated, realize a payday comes in, you get a windfall along the way, and like 
financially, sure, that's exciting and, and things change at a logical level. But before it hits the logical level, there's kind of the emotional level of like, what does that feel like? Um, what thoughts go through your head at that time? We had a guy come on the pod. He's like, like, dude, I used to just every day for the next week, I just drove to the bank and I would just go in the ATM, put my card in and say print receipt because I just wanted to see it. And he's Ooh, like, he's that, like, I didn't even Campbell? have anything. James Hong, he's like, I didn't even have anything I wanted to spend it on. He's like, I was just amazing. I was just amazing to look at that because I knew the seven year or whatever the, the the years that go into not not being there, not having that. And we had other people that are like, you know, this is oddly numb feeling. I didn't feel anything. And other people are like, you know, I had a conversation with myself. I said, all right, now I'm here. Here's this pivotal conversation I had with myself. So I always like to ask people about that moment because I think. It, there's usually something interesting that happens. It's not just like just another day. So it's surreal. It's surreal to me because you know, on on one end, it happened during COVID, so it was a real fuck. It was a weird fucking time for all of us, right? And you know, you 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 get there, and honestly, it's like you're pinching yourself. And you know, because it's a new age, you don't have to necessarily go to the bank account to print the receipt anymore. You can just look at that. And I surely <laughs> did that a few times. Just like what you know. Um, uh, but also, like, you have to make decisions. Like, I, I, we, we hired more people. We gave people raises. We gave people bonuses that had nothing to do with the with that part of the business. And and we invested back in the business. And so I was first thing I bought was my mom a plant, my house and a car. And so, like, you know, I, I was trying to really, you know, stay grounded. You know what I mean? And more importantly, like, try to do right. You know, as best as you can um, by for for those that are important to you, both. Um, family and on your team, right? And and ultimately, um, still like just enjoy the moment. And because we were kind of everybody locked in at home, it was, you know, every night it was for my wife and I was just surreal. And it's like, you know, then you start to think about, okay, well, do you tell your kids? Do you not, how do you raise them the right way? And how do you make sure you keep them hungry and humble? And you know what I mean? It's not about that. a lot of things change, right? Because it's like you get there and you start to realize um, you got to start planning, thinking, and and acting differently. But then also uh, other unintended issues start to come up. You know, like you know that was I forgot. More money, more problems. This is true. You know, at the end of the day, uh, what problems? Just a, a lot of different things. I think under, people, people want people, shit. People, people want shit. Under, people think that they deserve shit. Uh, unappreciative people, no matter what you give them. You know, they just un- unfortunately have a self-inflated view. Um, you know, uh, I think there's there's a whole list of issues that come up with it, right? Uh, that's the reality. But it is, you got to take the good, the bad, the ugly, and just keep rolling to punches and level up and level up and evolve. That's what it is. I thought right? you were going to say you had a red panty night. I was I was waiting for it. That was the... <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you said it for me. I did. Classic, classic <laughs> <laughs> and you had two bites of the apple, right? If I remember correctly, like I think you guys did. You guys sell a portion of the of the business early on, and I think you sold half of it, and then yeah, another. I don't mm-hmm. know if it was the half or the rest or another mm-hmm. big chunk. Yeah, right. Yep. Was it a hard decision to sell, or did you have six hundred million reasons? I mean, <laughs> it, it was. I mean, look. Any first of all, it was an amazing at the time, but always after the fact, you're like, and now we still have. We, we're still part of the business, so we can still keep making a lot of money in, 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 into the next decade or and longer, you know, at the end of the day. Um, because uh, it's always difficult to think about, oh, woulda, shoulda, coulda, right? But you got to be able to count, you know, the fortunes of it all, um, you know, and and 
be grounded in, in, in that positive reality. It's not a negative thing. You know, it's very easy to always Monday morning, morning quarterback something like, oh, we shouldn't have sold because of this, this and that. But you have those regrets, which I think is normal, by the way. I think most people who not you, maybe most, I think who they sell, you, you all, if you sell it right, you tend to sell early, right? I mean, th- I th- that tends to happen. I think, I think the way we structured the deal allows us to really, Nelly made a, a ton of money, but we just continue to make a ton of money. And, and, you know, ultimately, have I had those thoughts? Sure. You always think about it. And because it's, for me, it's more so, okay, it's about execution, right? So not only do we execute, but then how's, how are the deal? How's the terms? How's this? How's that? You know, so I'm kind of like constantly watching the film to make sure that I'm learning and growing as an entrepreneur because, I'm not resting on my laurels either. I'm not done, right? And so I'm I'm still playing the game. And while you play the game, you got to be able to not only celebrate the victories, but watch the tape back and see where you could have gotten better, right? And that's the only way you're going to be the best at what you do. So I have um, a partner who, a business partner who basically he he was he was already successful before, but his second company, he was about to get a two hundred million dollar check for the sale, and it was a like a one of those like clickbaity websites on Facebook that showed like top 10 lists and then Facebook changed the algorithm and the sale sale dropped from 200 million to like 30 million and it was just a massive issue because of platform risk and there's a lot of fear of platform risk do you do you view Connor as like your platform risk like if he really because he gets in trouble uh, sometimes he gets accused of a lot of stuff sometimes maybe he actually did do it sometimes he didn't do it do you get nervous about platform risk with Connor of like, shit, if he does something really bad, I'm, I'm fucked. Yeah. Well, well he's been accused of a lot of things and he's never sure. been, that's, that's the, 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 the facts. Right. Uh, but obviously there's always risk and everything. And I think when you look at, you know, such a, you know, Connor's kind of like an enigma, right. And so there's certainly going to be, uh, those that may be diverse and not want to do anything. But at the end of the day, whoever gets involved with us understands the McGregor brand, right? And understands inherent risks that potentially come with that. But ultimately, they also look at the track record and that is always going to win the day, right? Because you could make all these claims, accusations, whatever, but ultimately, the facts are the facts and the results are the results and the data is the data. So I think when you look at all those things, some of all parts is why we have a healthy relationship with all of our business partners and we continue to incubate and launch other exciting businesses in around the Connor brand. For me, he's the biggest client. He's, the, he's, he's also the top 1% you know, pop culture brand in the world. So it's like, unless I go inside the other people in that small uh, bucket, if you will, he's yeah, always going to have, he's always gonna have uh, you know, that, that, let's call it, you know, a uh, proportionate risk value across my platform, right? But ultimately, we're also, you know, much more than just one client and we're building something that for me is into the future, right? Sean, do you see what happened with Barstool? So basically, Barstool Sports sold to a betting company. A, a, a Pen. Pen. Yeah. And I don't remember the final sale. 600 million plus, Dave made a killing. I think he got in stock, I think, right? A lot of stock. Yeah, he he got a lot of stock. I think he got some. Uh, I think he was able to sell some. I know. I know that the the on Wall Street you could see that he did sell a little bit, and he um, basically after three years, Pem was like, 
shit, you guys are insane. Like you're it's really hard for us to do like because we're regulated as a casino. It's really hard to let you do what you want to do without hurting us. And ESPN wants to do this big deal with us, but they won't do it for with Barstool. You know what, Dave, here, look, just have the company back. And if you ever sell it again, we get half of the profit. Cool. And in exchange, we're going to do this ESPN deal, which is going to boost our stock. We're good. It was like the the greatest coup of all time of like, you know, Dave getting uh, Dave selling it and then them just saying, here, actually, we don't want this. Uh, you know, maybe we have a world where the buyer of, of Proper 12 is like, hey, this was cool and all, but you know what? You can just have it. It's yours now. You can have I it think, back. I think that was brilliant. It's a great <laughs> move for him. And I think he still has Penn stock too. So then the stock goes up and he win it again. So good for him. Uh, yeah, that then that's a that's an interesting sector we're, we're getting ready to enter into as well. So I'm, <laughs> that, that's a, I'm interested to see what they do with it now, right? Barstools and see what they end up, who they end up, you know, partnering with to try to get that off the ground. You probably i'm guessing you kind of studied other people who had talent like this like i don't know if you, you're in a group chat with like scooter braun and like you know john shahidi or some of these guys that are managing you know the, the sort of the big stars those same top one percent kind of like people who can move the needle john's a john's a john's a friend i don't know scooter but john's a friend who's john what's his last name the guy who manages the elf boys now um oh yeah yeah, yeah and stuff um yeah so he's I mean, he, has, I, he has probably he has he has like a dozen or so of some of the top podcasts and right. personalities, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, he's certainly a, uh, entrepreneur I respect. And he, um, and so you, you kind of studied them a little bit. If somebody was studying you and they see what you're doing with Connor and how you built, like, I'm just going to name them off. So you did a whiskey brand proper 12. You have Netflix documentaries and like entertainment that way you have roadhouse, which is like the new movie coming out. You have the August McGregor, the, the suit lines you have title, which is like the recovery spray. You have the fast app, which is like fitness, like app uh, plus, and I think like gyms coming or whatever, like, you know, something like that, like a, a fitness brand that obviously fits. And we have actually have a, a event based uh, competition coming with three called three KO. So that's going to be, you know, think of, of Spartan race meets, meets, meets uh, CrossFit games, you know? Very cool. So you, yeah. got, you have that, you have, uh, I think it's like a mobile game that he's in. You get, you do like kind of the, the, the celebrity fight with Mayweather. There's all these different things you've done around that person, that brand. And I'm sure some of them worked amazingly and some of them probably were too much work for what they were worth. And you just, you, you learn as you go, right? You're not, I, I doubt you, you were the one entrepreneur who just magically had everything right from day one. No, no way. Right. So if no somebody way. was studying you or somebody had, you know, it was, it was, it was, was with the next McGregor, was it with another star creator? Would you, what would be your kind of like advice to that person? How would you advise them based on your learnings of the last, 10 years of trying to figure this out. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, I'm still learning, right? I'm still learning. I'm still growing. What I would say is, you know, you have to be ready to, uh, you know, not only dream, but act on those dreams, right? And come prepared from a research and preparation perspective, building out a plan and be fluid because it's not always going to go to plan, right? But if you're prepared and you do have a plan, you're you're likely more, you know, you're likely to execute, even if you have to deviate a little bit, because you have to stay fluid with what reality hits you with, right? Um, you have to also have thick skin, man. Like at the end of the day, it's a war of attrition. You're gonna eat shit sandwiches daily for a long time. And so you gotta be able to withstand that with a smile, but be able to see through all the noise, the pressure, and more importantly, have that 
ability to communicate with that with that client, right? Because you guys have to stay in sync in terms of what you're building. Um, I would say, you know, one of the things I wish I would have done, build a, a team around you that's more experienced than you, right? Because ultimately, I think that that's what's going to allow you to accelerate your plan as opposed to bringing people and then having to deal other with other things like those people turning on you. Or one reason or another. How big's the paradigm team? It's still boutique, so we're about fifteen on on the whole co level. But then every brand co, if you will, uh, has has its own respective team, right? Um, and what I would also say is, you know, don't don't stop innovating, right? Um, don't stop trying to create new opportunities that have to align, right, with your client. Right, organically, but you got to make sure you're able to clearly define that. What, what's your criteria? So, like, you've gone into these ten different categories. How do you pick which category to go into? What What is it? Well, just it ha- well, first of all, it has to align organically, right? And they have to have a genuine interest because you can't sell something that's fake. I mean, everybody thought, and it's another thing. Everybody thought proper twelve was going to be a gimmick until they tried it. If you, obviously, if you don't drink, you don't drink. But if you try it, you're going to be, oh my god, this is great. We made sure we created a a substantive brand, right? It wasn't going to be just something that we just put his face on it and, and try to sell. And that's important, I know, to him as well. And that's why he believes in in in, in the ventures that 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 uh, that he's involved with. He's very passionate over, but it's they're of substance as well. They're quality. So you have to understand the, the market. You have to understand the players in the market. You have to understand how you fit in or how you can disrupt the market and grab market share. And you have to put a plan together that allows you to, to have a higher probability of success with the black belts that are, are going to help you operate the business, you know, and then having all the other components that are making sure that you could actually build a product or service or substance. By the way, did you ever consider just putting his name on it? Because like you have like uh, Jameson or Johnny Walker or Jack Daniels, like McGregor's name is, is so famous. It's an interesting well, that's brand taken. decision. It's actually take, it's taken. We oh, did okay. think about that. <laughs> okay. But the, actually, there's a, the McGregor clan, I think it's a Scotch, if I'm not gotcha. mistaken. So that, that was certainly considered. We, we also considered notorious Irish whiskey at one point. Right. Um, and, and, you know, again, even early, earlier days, there's a couple other names that were floated around. But. No, Proper Trolls is a good name. Proper Twelve's it's good. It's a great name. Again, we'll what's be, it mean? Like the tw- is it like the twelve districts of well, Dublin? He's, he's or something? from Dublin Twelve, so each let's call it yeah. borough or city within Dublin is is a number, and where he's from is Dublin Twelve, and so and proper. I mean, they would say that was a proper night out, you know, like oh, it was a proper good time, and um, so it's you know proper number twelve. That just made sense for the brand. And again, after pivoting several groups and finding the, the right partners, you know, we came up with the brand together. And Sean and I are big fans of, of words, you know, like we'll hear someone say something and we're like, oh man, the language they used was beautiful. That was really good language, whether it's writing or just someone talking. The cool thing about Connor is he, he, he's got the, a beautiful vocabulary and beautiful timing and beautiful phrasing. So he uses wonderful words. And so like, I remember when he was fought, fighting Jose Aldo, he would talk about like, he was like, if this was another time, I would storm your pavilla. And then he like talks about like what he would do to them. And uh, like he, he like, you know, the whole red panty night, like he just has like really funny, catchy phrases. I guess Trump kind of did this, too, where he just like it was just really catchy stuff. Are you guys ever just shooting the shit and you're like, oh, that's a line. We're going to we're going to have to use that. Uh, <laughs> he's like, he's or, very natural. Right? Going back to the acumen. I mean, that is stuff that it's not rehearsed. It's very much 
stuff that he just comes up with. But we'd be there and he'd say some stuff like that was hilarious. That's another that's another McGregorism. You know what I mean? Like you're well, like, put that in the bank. I, I Use that two, one another time. I have two fan service questions that are around that. Number one, yeah. well, during the May- Mayweather press tour, uh, which was just like amazing. God, that was that was so much fun. I but it looked like because all UFC press yeah. tours are the same. You go, you sit, and they ask you questions, and then you react. Whereas that one was like, stand up and give a speech. And it almost looked like Connor was almost ambushed. Like, oh, I just got to give a 20-minute improvised speech in front of millions of people right now. And then he kind of yeah. did it. Was that an ambush? I always wondered. Yeah, had no like- idea what the format was going to be like. And Sam, yes, it was exhausting at the time. But just thinking back to it, every time it kind of comes up, from whether it's the you know, annual anniversary, whatever it may be, it was such a great experience, man. And it was like once in a lifetime thing because, you know, Sean, it, it, there was no format. So to your point, I don't know if you felt ambushed, but certainly we're like, oh, what? Well, how is it for this one? How is it for that one? Right. But the energy of all of them was out of this world. And so I think that they fed off that energy, which gave them the ability to deliver these legendary lines, answer back and forth. I remember watching it and it was clear that he was like, wait, there's no fucking questions. I just have to, I just have to go. Okay. I'm a, I'm a comedian now. All right. Bet. And he said this line, he goes, you know, they, they tried everything. They didn't tell us the format. My microphone doesn't work. They're trying to put me in a uncomfortable situation, but they don't know. I thrive in uncomfortable situations. I almost feel like he was giving himself a pep talk during the speech. I, I really love that line. That was, that was great. But I also have another kind of fan service question on almost the other side of the coin. So as you can tell, me and Sam, both fans of you, of the UFC, of Connor, like we, we really, uh, you know, took a lot of inspiration from some of the, you know, it's, it's just a badass thing to go out there and just fight and, and put yourself on the line like that every single time. There's something to be admired of that for sure. And I think Connor came in with a very, uh, like at the beginning, how could you hate the guy? Like he was, he was bold. He came from nowhere. He was like, you know, this guy who was like a, you know, apprentice plumber. And then was like, all of a sudden beating everybody exactly this way he said he would. His fighting style was electric. Like there was nothing to dislike about the guy, I thought, on the on the come up. Uh, I'm sure some people did, but like the majority of fans, I think, were, were, were on the come up were just like, this guy's incredible. And then there's sort of almost like a heel turn now where um, I know a lot of people who I watch fights with, they sort of feel like he's kind of jumped the shark. Like, oh, you know, now he's this like, first of all, he's like super jacked now in this huge way. He's like more of a boxer. He's he hasn't fought in a long time. You know, he talks trash. Maybe he's crossing the line too much. Or he's getting in trouble. Like, there's all these things. That, honestly, like, I know he's your client and he's your friend and you're probably never going to say a bad word about him. But I think there are some fair criticisms that, like, you know, it's understandable why somebody who was a super fan might now feel like, ah, you know, I, I can't really, you know, get behind everything that I'm that I'm seeing here. Um, do you think about that at all? And do you, uh, I guess, like, what's your reaction to that? I, I don't really know how to phrase the question, but I feel like you're one of the few people on earth who would have a, a, an opinion about this that I would really care to hear. I mean, look, it, it's just like you are engaged with these conversations. Naturally, I'm going to hear everything right from people around me, and, you know, it, it, whether it's my friends or there's family. And ultimately what I'll say is this, like, you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. I know who the person is. And obviously I, I do have an intimate relationship. It's something that's more than just transactional. It's more than just a client, a business partner. Someone that I, I'm, I'm loyal to has been loyal to me. And so at the end of the day, you know, I know that history, once it's done being written, will be interpreted by everybody differently. He's definitely not perfect. He's definitely made mistakes. But a lot of the criticism, too, 
is subjective. It's based on where where you stand on what you believe in or what you want to see, et cetera. But A, never been legally, uh, all those accusations have not been legally found to be true, right? B, he was the cleanest and most tested athlete before he got the Isada pool. And when he returns to fighting, he's going to do it the right way and everything's going to be legal. So everybody can say what they want to say. There's nothing that was done wrong, right? And so he's, he's constantly being vilified because ultimately the stuff that they loved him for, he still does. Still outspoken, still says what's on top of his mind, but maybe because he has the riches now and it's not the rags anymore, Sometimes we try to tear some people down. I don't know why. I can't tell you, right? But ultimately, I do know proof's in the pudding. He has to continue to go out there and show that he could continue to evolve, be the best version of himself, not just athletically, but as a human being as well. And ultimately, that's on him to do. And I can't do that for him. You can't do that for him. But criticism is going to come. And when you're when you're in the public eye, you got to be ready to, to take it on. And at the end of the day, heavy's the head that wears the crown. You can't just want the good and not take the bad with it. So ultimately, that's something that we constantly talk about. Something that I know he says, I say to him, we talk about, he understands that, but it doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it easy because ultimately it's like, you know, you know, you talk about that, that aha moment. I don't know how many entrepreneurs you've had on this podcast, but when they have that big moment, they don't need to be seen by everybody. They're probably enjoying it with nobody watching them. Right. Or if they go somewhere, nobody really recognizing who they are, right? <laughs> Myself included. So ultimately, it's very different. And um, that doesn't, you know, essentially absolve him of, of the responsibility that he has to take upon himself in certain instances. But more, more importantly, it makes me understand the pressure is real, not only to win and succeed, but on another level to live your life so visibly for everybody to just critique every little thing in today's world man everybody has an opinion you know you, you guys before you met me you thought i was a square suit because of how i appeared visibly to, or visually <laughs> to you without ever talking to me before right so it's like very easy to fast judgment based on whatever your belief system is how you were raised your experiences with someone that looked like me whatever it may be or your opinions of agents just because you watch entourage and parlors. <laughs> but I, I, I can't change that ultimately, right? And so when you live in today's world like that, for everybody to critique, man, it's going to come with not just the good, but the bad and the ugly as well. And you got to deal with it. I like the fan questions. You know, this is, it's fun. We, we've had Ariel Hawani on here. Uh, you know, we've become friendly with Ben Askren. I think we've talked to Mike, Mike Bisbing. We've talked to a bunch of folks. It's, uh, you know, Sean and I are super fans. So it's always fun to like get like the insider how many fights uh, have you guys been to in person? I've, I've only one. been to three or four. You've been I think to there's, I, I, the, the, the in-person event is definitely like the best in-person sporting event. But in my opinion, if you're like a, a, like a, a nerd and a true fan fan, it's so much better to hear the commentary and to see it on uh, and to, like, to see like the replay of the Sean Malley uh, knockout uh, on Saturday. Like it was really awesome to be able to like see it. Close yeah, there, up, there is you know one I mean? challenge Versus... with UFC, which is that the cage and the cameraman on every post of the cage does kind of screw up the viewing experience depending on where you're at. Like, I, I'm sure if you're right next to right ringside, it maybe you don't have that issue. But like, we went to one event at the the Vegas place, uh, the one where um, Masvidal need Askren into like you know you know the next realm, and uh, and and you know the guy I saw it, but the guy next to me like literally couldn't even see the thing. <laughs> Missed the oh. moment because it was like a split. It was like in the first five seconds of the fight, 
And secondly, like, you know, just because of the caves, like if you go to a football game or a basketball game, it's open field. It's, you know, it's very easy to see what's going on. Whereas you're almost watching on the Dumbotron. Well, it's interesting. First of all, I think, look, there are pros and cons to your, both your points. The energy of big fights is something else. It's electric. I mean, just the walkouts and the crowd and you feel it and then you hear the thuds and, you know, it's like, it's, it's pretty, pretty amazing. I was at uh, Jorge and Nate and it was like, spectacular right but you it just it's just nice to be able to like you got to go home and watch, the replay watch it again then. yeah yeah but then from a view perspective to your point unless you're like the first few rows of the floor it's actually that the 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 mid low riser which is the perfect view because you're looking into the octagon right. but you're still really fairly close and i think that's the best view live right but um nonetheless no matter where your seats are i think for big 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 events you the, the electricity of that place is something else you know so what's going to happen like i'm following this whole circus with dylan danis and logan i've i've never even seen dylan danis train i went and watched his two bellator fights but that was like years ago what's going to happen like I, I don't know i've never even seen him spar or anything on like <laughs> leading up videos what's going to happen uh on that when's that it's august it's august 14th logan is is obviously has a uh uh uh, leg up having you know boxed before right yeah you but know, that was years ago man, i think he's bigger no listen listen i i i get it uh uh you know the fight's actually scheduled october 14th but but oh october 14th. dylan has made all the necessary necessary adjustments to his life to his preparation but this is his boxing debut so he has to go in there and really prove it right uh, now i can tell you the banter that's going back and forth i mean you know He's confident in his abilities and he's definitely putting in the work. So ultimately, you don't you don't make you know, you don't take that position with the banter that he's doing if you're not going in there with some level of confidence in yourself. Right. So and and I and I'm sure it's giving Logan a little bit more training for it. Right. Because ultimately, it's it's personal now, I would imagine. Right. Um, oh, I, yeah. Not even Connor, you know, King of Trash Talk Connor wouldn't even he never even went that far uh, to talk about family. I, I don't like that he's talking about family, but. I like it in the sense of like, I'm going to stare at it. You yeah, know what I mean? I'm, I'm a kid on the internet and I think it's funny too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, like I, it's, it's too far, but at the same time, I'm like, but it's there. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm watching that. Listen, I think what's interesting is the, you know, love it or hate it. The engagement for that is through the roof and, you know, it should help sell the fight. And more importantly, like it's about now performing, right? Because ultimately you can, talk all you want now you got to go in there oh, but he's made all the adjustments to his life personally and professionally which which i'm very proud of him for doing that will give him that 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 high chance of winning this i think he's gonna impress yeah. and shock a lot of people people are not giving him enough credit and i think when he gets in there it's it's his time to shine now he's putting he's gonna put he's gonna basically put his money where his mouth is because the mouth is getting it ready is gonna make people want to watch him love him or hate well him. you're you were kind of implying you're like, well, it doesn't matter unless he loses, and uh, I kind of disagree. I, I think uh, I think he's already won whether he loses or or, or not. Like he, he's already kind of like from where he was starting to where he is now. Like you know, he's already got the. It, it, it'll be okay. He'll even if he gets knocked out right away, he'll probably be better off than where he was. Oh, this is a great opportunity for him, no doubt, no doubt. Thanks for doing this, man. Uh, where should people follow you if they want to get more? Just uh, my first and last name at Audiotar. Twitter, Instagram, threads. X. Um, X. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. At Audiotar X, at Audiotar threads, at Audiotar Instagram. I think 
One of three still remain. <laughs> All right, Audie. Thanks for doing this, man. All right, Jens. <laughs> Sean, Sam, thank you so much. Appreciate it. And that's the pod. Yeah. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Like-